0: Just learn and talk in good faith. Imposter syndrome is you feeling like an imposter making a posture. Don't posture, just share the narrative. I think it's utterly fascinating. I like this idea of don't meet your heroes, get paid by them. That's Sarah Weaver's strategy. All right, we're doing it. Hey, thanks for all the emails last week. We got incredible feedback from last week's episode on certifications, plus some other business models that might be the GOAT. I saw a couple Scotty Pippins in there. They weren't all Jordans, but we're going to do episodes on them. So we appreciate that feedback. we got a good one for you today. Ian won't be here. In fact, he's on the phone all day getting ready for our first New York City event in some time. This one is exclusive to DC black members. So it'll be about 30 founders, all seven and eight figure businesses, including a recent nine figure exit that we're going to hear from. I'm excited. I'm bringing my notebook and my podcast scheduling calendar. I'm looking forward to bringing back a recap from that event. and I'm really excited to go. Speaking of events, just some sort of internal news. Something I've been working on this week is a new Mexico event. Um, It's going to be in May. I'm flagging it up because if you're curious about meeting listeners of this show, I want to create an opportunity for those of us that live on this side of the planet to have that embedded adventure that's super fun, but also is super business oriented. I was just so inspired by DCBKK this year, just how it went off and what's special about that event and why people spend like a couple weeks to a month out of their life to go there. And I thought, man, we need to build something like this in the Western hemisphere and uh, so we sent our team down to Mexico. I was just on the phone with them today and I think we've got something. So stay tuned for that. I'm just really excited to announce that. Brings me to something I wanna say about uh, before today's topic, which is, if it's been a while since you've used Loom, so for those of you who don't know, Loom is an async video communication software. Like you record yourself, either your face or your screen, and you can share it with clients, with team members, Stuff like that was found in 2016. Recently, it sold for just a hair under a billion dollars. It's an incredible piece of software, and they've been really changing the software dramatically in the past few years. There's now transcriptions and chapters. And for me, I've just really started seeing its potential as a unique way to run the operation of an async company. So, zooming back to the Mexico event team. I recently watched a 45-minute meeting of the team discussing like, the detailed financial elements of that event. So I was up to speed. I didn't have to attend the original meeting. That was a really cool use case. I've seen listeners of this show use it to do sales copy, to make content, to build relationships with clients. In fact, we had a whole episode about that, which we'll link to in the show notes, how one listener of this show is growing his business using Loom Outreach. Anthony Fasano, who was on the show a few weeks ago, he said, quote, when I'm sending a big proposal to a client, I take them through it on a loom. They then share the loom with their board or leadership team, and it makes it easier to digest and approve the proposal. Pretty, pretty cool. And recently for DCBKK, we have almost 20 speakers. And so that means 20 speeches to review for that event. This year, for the first time, we did it completely async. We just said, by this date, just get us a draft of your talk. And man, it saved us so much time. We didn't have to get on calls. We were able to give better, more specific feedback to the speakers. We ended up getting a better result with a lot less time input. So, long way of saying, I think this is an incredible product and has a ton of potential uh, to drive the operations of async businesses. So, if you haven't checked out Lumen a little while, that's a quick tip here at the top. So, the theme of today's uh, show is cash flowing early retirement and thinking through how this can be an opportunity for us. I think there's an enormous labor market of knowledgeable, highly paid professionals who are looking for low-stress ways to make a living and to preserve their retirement, to not have to dig into their savings but to continue to generate cash flow. I mean, I think that's why real estate is typically the opportunity that people talk about when they talk about cash flow and retirement. And we're going to have an expert guest on to talk about that. But I want to flag up an example of how we might think about this that I was speaking about with my friend, Richard Chandra, who's a serial entrepreneur and CEO. And we were just sort of nerding out on certifications and coaching. And we get to talking about a bunch of different brands. One in particular is called CEO Coaching International. And so last week, we talked about how companies like Scaling Up and EOS and Traction create certifications. CEO Coaching International has a bit of a different model where they leverage this idea of probably already wealthy people who are in the sunset phase of their career are looking for ways to generate cash flow and sort of, quote, stay in the game. So CEO Coaching International, I think it's about a $5 million company. That would put them having a ballpark of around 500 clients. So what ends up happening is if you're a CEO of a company, you go to CEO Coaching International, you pay between... Eight and ten thousand dollars a month, and the coaches who are these folks who are sunsetting their careers, they would get about forty percent of that. So with about ten clients, you could make that four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars a year. And what a great deal in your retirement! Uh, this concept of uh, a super consultant—it's basically like you make over three hundred thousand bucks a year, you work less than forty hours a week, and you have no team except for maybe an EA. Well. Why are they willing to do this? Why not get the certification and go out and do it yourself? Well, number one, they're already wealthy. I think a lot of folks who've had a long and successful career, they just want to stay in the game. They want to give back. And so I think CEO Coaching International is a business model that recognizes incredible potential in people who've worked a full career and have been really, really successful, but still want to stay in the game. So just one more example. Uh, of a coaching company there. We'll link it up in the show notes. Speaking of cash flowing your early retirement, I've long wanted to have today's guest, Sarah Weaver, on the show. Quick side note, if you're curious about going to Antarctica, Sarah is hosting a DCX adventure to Antarctica in February. There's two spots left. And I've heard amazing things about the provider she selected. And she's doing it at half price. This is like a $10,000 trip. And typically... It would cost uh, $20,000, but this is a bulk buy. So if you're listening to this right now and you want to hang out with some amazing entrepreneurs on a luxury boat to Antarctica, reach out to Sarah. We'll have her contact information in the show notes you can click through on your phone. But the reason we had her on the phone today, besides being an amazing DCer, she currently cash flows between ten dollars and $14,000 per month on her real estate portfolio. And she's done this whole thing in such a short, amount of time. So we're getting the story right on the heels of her having done it. She currently owns 19 rental units across four states in the United States. And today she'll talk about how she bought those properties. She'll talk about the six metrics she looks for before investing in a specific city. We'll also ask her precisely how much money do you need to start uh, to execute a strategy like this. And really, we're going to talk about why she believes and how she's executed a cash flow investing strategy in real estate as a way to not only build wealth, but to generate cash flow for retirement. So without further ado, Sarah Weaver, everybody. Hello, I'm Sarah Weaver,
1: and I am a real estate investor and entrepreneur.
0: And the cool thing is is you've built sort of a brand around your real estate investments. So I want to get to that. I'm curious, though, do you get anything out of doing this? What would be the ultimate business outcome? I know you're coming on the show because you're doing me a solid and everything like that. But if there was a business outcome, what would that look like?
1: So what I love about what I do is that all of my businesses, it's like the ultimate funnel. So if you're listening to this and you're curious about buying real estate, then hire me to coach you how to buy out-of-state real estate. So what I love about Tropical MBA is that you're attracting a lot of people like you and I, Dan, who want to travel the world and ideally have passive income. That's exactly what real estate has done for me. Then I'll convince all real estate investors to at least own some furnished rentals and then they'll hire my design company, Aria Design Services, to analyze, furnish, and launch their furnished rental for them. And then I'm going to make everyone so much money that we're going to have all this time and disposable income. And then they can come on a trip with me with in my travel company, Invested Adventures, where I take real estate investors on epic trips around the world.
0: Incredible. Can you sum up your business enterprise, whatever numbers you're willing to share, indicators of size?
1: So my rental portfolio, I own 19 units in four states, and then I cash flow, which means profit, at least 10000 a month, but I'm closer to 14000 a month, and that's just my
0: rental portfolio. I don't know how you say it in real estate, but how much is that of a bank note on those 19 versus the money that you've put in?
1: Yeah, it's quite a bit because I did a lot of what's called house hacking, where I would buy a house using an owner occupied loan. And then because I'm a digital nomad, I would just move to Europe or move to Mexico and it would allow me to put only 3% down. So what happens when you put 3% down is that 97% of your property's mortgage. And so my goal is I have not refinanced or pulled a ski lock or any money out of my properties because I want to be at 60% loan to value. And so I'm probably at 70% right now. And so I'm just waiting for the equity to go up. And obviously I'm paying the principals down on these loans.
0: One thing I know so little about real estate, but It seems like a maxim that comes up on the show a lot, which is basically, hey, real estate isn't a good way to make money. It's a good way to protect money. And the number that often comes up on the show is like, yeah, if you got like a million dollars, buy some properties, put them in the properties, and then just get back to business. Now, of course, it's coming from people whose primary business is stuff like online stuff. What's your opinion about that?
1: Yeah. So there's really two different ways. Well, there's multiple different ways, but let's focus on two different ways to invest in real estate. What you just mentioned is what I consider appreciation investing. So let's take Austin, Texas, where you're at. You're not going to be able to buy a duplex in Austin that's going to cash flow. And I just shared with you guys my cash flow numbers. I'm cash flowing about $10,000 across my portfolio. You can't do that in a place like Austin because the price is too high. And now interest rates are at about a seven. Why can't you do that? Because your monthly payment is too high and you're not able to rent it for any higher. Like at some point, you can't charge tenants, you know, $12,000 a month in Austin. People aren't going to pay that. They might pay that in New York City, but they're not going to pay that in Austin for a three bedroom or two bedroom apartment. And so eventually your monthly payment is too high to get the rent that you're looking for. However, I see investors investing in Austin because they're betting on appreciation. And I like the words that you use, they're like using it to protect their assets and ideally build equity through appreciation, meaning the value is going to go up. But that's not how I invest. There's another type of investing called cash flow investing. And so I'm investing in markets like Omaha, Nebraska, Des Moines, Iowa, Kansas City, Missouri, where the prices aren't as high. But the rent is still high or equal to what you're going to have your monthly payment be. And then I furnish these units to push the rental income even higher. And that's how I create cash flow. And so is it making as much as people online businesses? Absolutely not. Or at least most of the time it's not. But it is cash flowing, like I said, about ten dollars to $14,000 a month. And then the tax benefits of real estate is where it really becomes a great way to not only build wealth, but create wealth.
0: I want to get to taxes, but two things pop to mind. What is it about places like Des Moines? What are the characters of these places that you're seeking out and how does one recognize them? And how much money do you need to get started, in your opinion, with a cash flow approach?
1: So I'm looking at six metrics. I'll just list through them really quickly. And if anyone is interested in more information, I have so much educational pieces on this. But I'm looking at population growth. So listen, you traveling snobs. (laughs) People do actually want to move to places like Des Moines and Omaha. So you're looking for population growth trends. I want to know that more people are going there because that's like basic econ 101 supply and demand. You want there to be more demand for housing. So therefore, you need more people. Then I want to see job growth. I need my tenants to be employed. And that's one of the key factors that's pushing population growth. If there's more jobs there, there's going to be more population wage and income growth. I want my tenants making more money over time so that I can increase rent because without fail, your property taxes are going to go up even if everything else stays the same with your monthly payment. So those three things are the most important for me. I want to know that people are going to want to live there. They're employed and they're making more money.
0: Where are you sucking this data in from?
1: Oh gosh, everywhere. Now it's honestly Chat GDP, but I am looking a lot at city data.com. The hmm. spread.gov, like the Federation of Housing, they have a good website. There's about seven different websites that I use. And now I have a virtual assistant who does this like research for me. But I want data to like prove that I'm making a good investment. I think a lot of investors like. Hear some news article that's like top 10 cities. And you guys, I used to be a journalist. Like, we journalists love manipulating data. So, I would not trust some (laughs) top 10 list when you're investing like $100,000. So, population growth, job growth, wage growth, home value increase. Like, at the end of the day, you guys were investing. So, we want the home values to increase. I'm looking for four to 6% appreciation year over year when I'm looking in these, what I consider second tier cities. And a place like Austin, I mean, you guys had 17% appreciation, but guess what? This year you're at maybe zero. And so it'll calculate as a negative, but I mean, you had so much appreciation in the last two, three years. So I'm looking for the home value to go up. And then I want crime rate to go down. And I think that that's really, really important that you have less crime in an area, not only to keep your tenants safe, but it also keeps your insurance rates down.
0: How much money does one need to start with a strategy like this?
1: If you're going to live in a city that you like and invest where the numbers make sense, you're likely going to need to put 20 percent down. And the average price of the properties that I'm looking at are about three hundred thousand. And so that's what, sixty thousand is your down payment. Let's assume another ten thousand in closing costs and then five to ten percent for renovations. And so you're looking at about seventy-five to eighty thousand dollars.
0: And if someone started with that, this is a very hard question, requires speculation. Be irresponsible with me for a minute. If I was like, F yeah, Sarah Weaver, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And I did this after my job or my primary entrepreneurship thing at nights and weekends. What sort of time frame am I looking for to get to that magical number of $10,000 in passive income a month? Is it a five-year thing?
1: Well, I did it in less than five. However, I had interest rates at my side because my interest rates on the properties that I bought are in the threes and fours, meaning 3% and 4% interest. Today, you're looking at 7% interest. That really kills your cash flow. And so you're going to have to do two things. You're going to have to look longer for deals. So the average investor that I'm working with right now is spending about five to 10 hours a week just looking for deals. And so that became a lot more time and Extensive. I was probably spending maybe two to four hours a week when I was doing this. And so that time has more than doubled. And then as far as purchasing the properties, it's really going to depend on how fast you can acquire these properties, depending on the types of financing and loans you can get. And so I think it's realistic that you could do this in seven years.
0: Sarah, the real estate game, especially the cash flow side of things, reminds me a little bit of poker in terms of the community, which is that there's so many people interested in it and that have access to the information. It's almost like a, you could compare it a little bit to chess. The thing about chess is you know everything about the game. With real estate and poker, there's things you don't know. You kind of yes. have to place a bet and see where that crime rate's gonna go or whatever. But what's similar about them is that they're both these enormous onroads into entrepreneurship. Because everybody listening to this right now can put these numbers down and start to imagine a future in which they have more money. And that's like pretty magical thing. I'm wondering, what was it about real estate like that got you? Yeah, great question. Do you remember the moment? Well, it was really two different
1: moments. So the first moment was, I just want to buy a house because in the U.S., you can do it with 3% down. So my first house was $217,000 which meant that my down payment was $7,000. And so for me, it was like a no-brainer that I just wanted to buy a house because I knew that I could have a few different exit strategies. I could buy something that needed to be renovated and I could flip it, even though I didn't really want to be a flipper because that's a job that's not building wealth. But I also knew that I could you know, renovate it and then maybe refinance it and get money back. Or I could just buy a property turn it into a rental, and just watch the equity go up. And so that particular example, I bought it for two seventeen, and I did spend about $10,000 renovating it. So I pushed the value of the house up to $300,000 like within months. And at the time, my job was paying me $50,000. And I just looked at the numbers, and I'm like, wait a minute, I just created $70,000 worth of equity in one house in three months and that's when i think i got the idea that this was a good idea
0: <laughs> this is when you were um, a journalist eh
1: yeah i was working at, um for a recruiting company she's actually also a digital nomad the owner of that company and so she let me live anywhere and so it was really funny she was like living in the south of spain and she and this was my boss at the time and she's like you're moving to kansas <laughs> And if I was willing to, like, essentially experience delayed gratification by moving into this house because it allowed me to do 3% down instead of 20% down.
0: Because it was your primary residence. That's like a U.S. mortgage thing.
1: Exactly, because it was my primary residence. And then because I'm a digital nomad, I just traveled a lot that year. And so I barely spent any time in Kansas, yet that was my primary residence. I paid taxes. I moved my car tags. I registered to vote, all of these things that make it so that you live there. But then I spent most of the time abroad. And so you asked kind of like when I decided. I wouldn't say that that was the moment. That was just like, oh, yeah, that was a good idea. And then two years later, I did it again. I bought another one, same thing, like house hack, 3% down. And it was that property that opened my eyes. Because with just two properties, I was cash flowing or profiting $1,200 a month. And as you know, when you're living like a dirty backpacker, $1,200 a month like goes pretty far.
0: How were those two properties able to cash flow immediately?
1: The first home that I bought, I basically just rented out each of the rooms and got roommates. And they covered my mortgage plus some. And then the second property was a duplex, meaning it was two units. And so I had a tenant downstairs and her entire rent covered the entire mortgage. So my unit upstairs, I got a roommate, and that roommate's rent was pure cash flow.
0: Okay, so you're dirty backpacking. You got the 1200 beautiful passive dollars coming through. I'm assuming a couple things. There's, number one, $1,200 is not enough to live off of. And number two, I've always heard that when you have tenants like this, they cause you problems. Like what happens when they're not satisfied with your service? In your $300,000 house, they're bugging you every single day about stuff that costs 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there.
1: Yeah, great question. So the first thing you have to do is you have to screen tenants really well. So I'm really proud of the tenants that I chose, especially for those first two buildings. They were really good tenants. So that helps. Then you have to provide, like what you said, great service. So I made sure that the systems are updated. You know, I'm servicing the AC unit and making sure that everything's working properly. And then in addition to that, those numbers that I gave you, that $1,200, that's assuming that I'm setting aside 8% of the monthly rent for vacancy in case they don't agree and they move out and it's vacant. I'm setting aside an additional 5% for capital expenditures, another 5% for maintenance and repairs, and 8% for property management, even though I'm self-managing. So every month I'm setting aside, what is that, 28%? And then after, that's when I still have that $1,200. So the reality is that I'm making considerably more than that, but I'm a really conservative investor. I always joke that I might travel solo, which for a lot of Americans, that's wild, and I jump out of airplanes and online dating abroad. Ooh, very scary. But when it comes to investing, I'm really conservative because I don't want this to fail. And I also don't want any of those surprises. So when I do get the text message that the dishwasher is leaking, while I'm not stoked about it, it's really not that big of a deal because I have reserves in the bank because I've been setting money aside every month.
0: What year was it, Sarah, that you got that second property going? 2019. 2019. So how did you go from there to hear, like, what was that overdrive gear? And it's sort of pretty common in the entrepreneurship space that it's like you did something no one else is willing to do, right? You like move to the middle of nowhere, you take advantage of this law, you put all your savings into this thing, you're not spending a lot of money. So it's like slowly, 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 suddenly. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly what it felt like in 2021. What happened?
1: So I switched jobs and I started working for someone in the real estate investing area. So that's like one of my biggest piece of advice, regardless of what industry you're interested in, is earn while you learn. So I took a job in the real estate investing space so that I was just constantly inundated with information and learning new ways to do this. But then it was really frustrating, you guys, because I spent all of 2020 Surrounded by real estate investors, yet I didn't buy anything that year. I was analyzing deals. I was analyzing about 10 deals a day, five days a week. That was my like metric that I was going for. So all I was doing was analyzing properties, but for anyone in the real estate space, 2020 was wild. Multiple offers everywhere, people were going hundred thousand dollars over asking, and I didn't have enough money to play that game. And so I actually came out of 2020 so frustrated because all I wanted was to buy a rental property and it didn't happen. So I made one change to my strategy, which was I got really, really clear on what I wanted and I stopped trying to do multiple strategies at once. So I zeroed in on buying a two to four unit property as my primary residence in the Midwest And within days, I went under contract.
0: What was the instinct that drove you to make that decision?
1: A mentor. I want to say her exact words were knock it off because I was trying to do an Airbnb in this state. I was trying to do a big renovation in this state. I was trying to use this investing strategy and I was scattered. And so I was essentially trying to do too much at once. And what's really cool is that by the end of that year, I did all of those investing strategies, but she was exactly right. You can't do them all at the exact same time.
0: I like this idea of don't meet your heroes, get paid by them. That's Sarah Weaver's strategy. (laughs) 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 I love that. That's like all-time podcast advice at TMBA. That's in my top 10. It's so simple. Nobody wants to do it. Just go get a job in the space that you want to ultimately be an owner. And a player in, just go get a job in that space. It's just that simple.
1: And I took a pay cut and was like, didn't even blink, didn't even think twice about it because thanks to my backpacking lifestyle, I was already living frugally. And so it was no question that I could afford to take a pay cut. And then, I mean, look at what it did. I, I consider it like a slingshot. I feel like I got pulled backward so that I could be propelled forward.
0: I love that. So you're around now all these people that are like wealthier and more successful than you. And they're doing oh, all yeah. the sh- they're doing all the sh- now when you go get the four unit, was that against the grain? How would others think of that strategy that you took?
1: It's almost like the beginner strategy. So I think the beginner strategy as a real estate investor is to buy primary residences because in the U.S. you can put such little down. And so we call it house hacking. So I love it in credit card hacking and travel hacking. You also have house hacking. And so it means that you're going to probably either live next door to your tenant or have roommates or have your tenants live in the house with you. And that's kind of something that a lot of sophisticated investors aren't willing to do. They're not going to move like their family of four into a fourplex. But I was willing to do that. And so I think that made me get really clear that I was at the beginning of my journey. I think what was unique about what I was doing is that I bought that fourplex Sight unseen while I was living in a van in New Zealand, and so I was like living my backpacker dream life. you know, I had a job in the industry I wanted to be in, working remotely, living in a van in New Zealand during the pandemic, though I feel like I won the pandemic and I bought this completely sight unseen and so that's the twist, and that's I think what has aided me to build my other businesses is I now help real estate investors who maybe are in California or Texas by a few thousand miles away because they can see, okay, if Sarah did it from a whole nother country, surely I can do this from a few
0: states over. One of the philosophical challenges I see with real estate is it feels like it's hard to differentiate because everybody has access to the same information and it's sitting right in front of everybody and everybody wants to be a real estate investor. And then Meanwhile, in the entrepreneurial space, we're like obsessed with competition, but everyone's your competition. So how do you think through that? How do you have an edge?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that the moment I actually like switch to abundance mindset rather than scarcity mindset around real estate investing, that's when like the magic happens. Because if you can make all of your real estate investing competitors, your ally, like Joe down the street, he's not going to buy 10 duplexes this year. He might buy three. So when he gets a good deal, but he's already under contract on another, I want Joe to lob that deal over to me. And so I started networking and really growing like solid relationships with other real estate investors. And I was doing the same thing. Any deals that didn't fit my criteria I was sending over to them and feeding them
0: deals and feeding them leads. A lot of digital nomads, they untether from a career and they go right to the waterfall, right to the elephant ride, right to the ayahuasca retreat. Meanwhile, you did two interesting strategic things. One, you created a process around buying remotely instead of all of a sudden relying on your hands and your toolkit, which is all of a sudden now a skill set you can sell on. And then the second thing you've done is you've now leverage your location independence to become the ultimate networker. So it's kind of interesting that now, instead of having Digital Nomad be like this acceptable, like I'll make less, but it's worth it because I get to do the elephant rides. You're taking it the other direction, which is like you're going to make more because you're going to meet more people, essentially. That's how I'm reading it from the outside.
1: And you're exactly right. And now it's a huge part of my brand. And so people join my coaching program because guess what? They want to buy real estate and quit their job and travel the world. And I've been traveling the world for the last seven years. And in the last five, I've been having my rental income fund, at least part of it and now all of it.
0: Tell me when the other stuff came along, Sarah. So that
1: same summer in 2021, I went under contract on that a fourplex. And because I was networking with real estate agents in a di- couple different markets, I got sent, like the perfect deal and was like scratching my head because I didn't know how to fund it. And again, went back to my network and was like, hey, guys, I think I have this really good deal. What do I do? And they helped me put together a financing strategy where I borrowed money from a non-traditional bank called Hard Money Lenders. Then I also borrowed money from someone in my network, someone off of Instagram, And yes, you're paying higher interest rates to these people. But again, the deal was so good that I could justify getting the money that way. What was so good about it? Two different things I liked about this deal. It's two properties next door to each other. So I like that I don't have to drive all over town or have handymen. So I essentially would love to own the block. So I liked that these two deals are next door to each other. And I was able to purchase them under market because they needed renovation. But I saw that as a plus because I was going to renovate them anyway. Because if I renovated them to a certain level, I could increase or force appreciation. And then I could go back to a traditional bank and say, hey, look, I bought this house. Now it's worth X. And I have tenants living there paying me Y. Go ahead and give me a new mortgage at this higher value. And that's exactly what I did. And I was able to actually purchase the
0: properties using zero dollars. Wow. Have you continued to do that? That's so incredible.
1: I have not done it since. And that's really common. It's very difficult to find deals like this. Also, the reality was it was so stressful. I am so glad that I did it. And it was so risky because renovations could cost more, take longer. You could have over-evaluated the property and the bank says, no, sorry, it's not worth that. It's such a risky strategy that I'm so glad I did it, but I'm not looking to do it, I mean, multiple times a year, uh, unless I had better systems in place and a much better like, on-the-ground construction team.
0: You're following this model now that you've created the Sarah Weaver brand, where there's you're talking about real estate, you're talking about travel, We've called it like practitioner preacher. There's like the thing, which is your real estate deals. And then there's the talking about the thing and you kind of go back and forth. How did you get inspired to do that? And how did you think about like time allocation for each over the past few years?
1: So it actually happened with the next property that I bought that same summer. I bought the fourplex next door to the other fourplex. So now I own two fourplexes next door to each other and two duplexes next door to each other. And with that, those fourplexes, I realized that I could furnish the units. And instead of turning them into a traditional Airbnb where I'm doing two-night or three-night stays, I'm renting them out for 30 days or more. And so instead of it being called a short-term rental, it's called a medium-term rental. I contacted the largest real estate publisher in the industry, pitched them this book idea about this investing strategy, and I now have written the book on this investing strategy, The Medium-Term Rental. And so it just became a natural progression that when you write a book on a topic, you're seen as the expert. And so now I travel the country speaking at conferences, speaking at local meetups, and it would be hard to say like where that idea came from. But I think it's always been in my nature to turn around and teach what I'm learning. So even when I worked for the recruiting company, I was traveling the country teaching people how to recruit and therefore generating business for the recruiting firm. So
0: there are a lot of people, when this topic comes up, they struggle with imposter syndrome. And you said yourself, you wrote the book on the topic, you are considered an expert, yet you were in the process of making your first investment of that type. What do you say to people? Like, when's the moment at which you can teach something?
1: I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned through all of this is that I've never pretended to be anything that I'm not. So with real estate investing, I share exactly what my numbers are. I talk about how I was making $55,000 when I did this and that I'm like just a girl from Kansas. And I think people are like, well, damn, <laughs> like two things happen. Either they resonate with me, meaning they're like, oh, like she's like me. Or they go the other way and they're like, okay, if this dummy can do it, surely I can do it. And frankly, neither of those things upset me. That's I always want to say, yeah, that's kind of the point. I talk a lot about being single and doing this because I had a woman stop me in the hallway at a real estate conference and tell me that I'm the only single person on stage doing this without a husband. And for a second, I was like, surely that can't be true. And then I looked at it and I realized, I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm the only person at these conferences that's doing this on my own.
0: And so I have to talk about it. So be you. That's the thing. Oh, that's such a cool answer. Because I always want to say, this is like a, an emotion and it, I haven't thought it through, but I'm always like, imposter syndrome. Do you know what I mean? Like, just learn and talk in good faith. Imposter syndrome is you feeling like an imposter... Making a posture. Don't posture, just share the narrative. I think it's utterly fascinating. Someone that financially we can relate to jumping into a new style of investment and telling the story along the way. What's going to happen? We'll find out. And that's part of the best part. And then people also will jump on board telling you what you missed. That's one of the parts of those narratives that's really interesting. I get emails all the time from these podcasts where people say that was a malapropism. Damn, you used that word wrong. Like, actually, you just don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, I can't be an expert on everything. But I I think, I know a lot of people have this goal line, like, once I get to this number, I'll start sharing. It is true that those numbers can be compelling if you get to a certain benchmark or whatever that people find important. But I also think that there's something about the process of learning and discovery and story that is beautiful and it doesn't need to get caught up by imposter syndrome.
1: The reality is that my audience and now my target audience that I'm looking to attract, they're not going to buy 12 properties this year. They're going to buy two, like one to three properties. And so therefore, I didn't need to have this huge portfolio of 50 units or more because that might not be the goal. Instead, what I've found is that they're more attracted to the fact that I've increased my cash flow so much Because it's actually more, it's more beneficial to me to own less real estate with higher cash flow rather than have to have a hundred units to get to that same cash flow number.
0: What are the epic fails that you've made or those around you that have fallen off have made? How do people screw this up?
1: Man, there's so many ways to mess this up. One of the first things you asked me was like, what do you do if your tenants are calling you all the time? Guess what? They don't do that. Like, Dan, you stay in rental units. Are you calling your landlord all the time? No. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Like, it doesn't happen almost ever. And so, first of all, that's like a myth about real estate investing. So it's usually not your tenants calling you in the middle of the night for a leaky toilet. That's not what they're calling you about. What screws real estate investors up is that they paid too much for the property. They underestimated the cost of renovation. They underestimated the timeline of the renovation. Renovations are always going to take longer. Your plumber's always going to like stop midway through to go work on another job across town. And guess what? When your renovation is happening, you're making zero dollars because the only way that you make money in real estate is when it's being rented or sold. And so the vacancy is I think what kills investors.
0: What do you tell people who are interested in getting into entrepreneurship? They look at all the travel, they look at just anything. What's your like, uh, Sarah, I wanna follow in your footsteps. What sort of things do you ask them to think about or focus on?
1: Yeah, I think the the most important thing to realize is that it really is as fun as it looks. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, it's really long hours and like, you have to be willing to do, it's like, yeah, that's true. But it also means that like my Tuesday night is sometimes better than people's like lifelong vacations. And so I'm really proud of the life that I've built. And it's true that there is long hours and sometimes you're lonely. And so there are cons to this life, but it is also so freaking fun. And so definitely if you're thinking about jumping into entrepreneurship or being a digital nomad, it's so fun.
0: One more thing before we go could you tell me about the genesis of dc antarctica and honestly first off it like looks badass like you guys are going to antarctica on an amazing ship but i also think who the goes to antarctica i'm not that well traveled to know that this is the thing so can you tell me like what's the concept
1: yes i'm so excited the dynamite circle has come out with dc adventure and i will be leading the first dc adventure trip in february in antarctica And I had a lot of preconceived notions about Antarctica.
0: It sounds crazy. File that under things I didn't expect to hear five years ago. (laughs) Amazing.
1: I'm so, so proud. So I had so many preconceived notions about Antarctica. One is like you're miserably cold. It's only for old people or like the ultra wealthy. But what happened was I went to a travel conference actually put on by another DCer. Alex Jimenez owns Women's Travel Fest. And while I was there, I sat next to girls in their early thirties that had just gotten back from Antarctica. And when they started showing me and my business partner with my design company, we were there together. When they started showing Kendra and I the photos of whales, penguins, like the actual icebergs, we were absolutely hooked. And I also think there was a girl who bought a bright pink sparkled G1Z and was taking like the most amazing Instagram photos and looked hilarious, I was like, yes, I am going to Antarctica. So when I had an opportunity to partner with a tour operator and bring this trip to the DC community, it just seems like a no-brainer because you're taking a bucket list experience. For me, it's my seventh continent. I'm sure for other people coming, it will also be their seventh continent. So it's taking a bucket list experience And it's making it a business mastermind. So we will have a lot of downtime as we travel across the Drake Passage. And if we don't have our head between our legs from seasickness, we're going to be sitting at a dinner table talking about entrepreneurship, business, marketing, tax strategies, of course, real estate investing. And so it gives us an opportunity to network with other entrepreneurs while pairing it with a bucket list travel
0: experience. Incredible!
1: Oh, and it's a tax (laughs) write-off.
0: Sarah Weaver from Kansas to Antarctica to Bangkok to Austin and many other places, London and beyond, beyond, beyond. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for doing DC Antarctica. And thanks for joining us on the TMBA podcast. Thanks, Dan.